left-footed in-swinger, headed into a dangerous spot and played into the net. Nashville's got its goal from Teal Bunbury. Teal opens his account in gold. And there is jubilation from the Nashville supporters, hundreds of them that made the trip. This is what Nashville does against Cincinnati. Teal paints Cincy gold. The Nashville SC holds on for a draw. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the call of Teal Bunbury's six-minute goal against FC Cincinnati for a second. It looked like the boys in gold might be up for another romp in the Queen City, but it wasn't to be as FCC showed some of that grit and determination, got back into it. Equalized from Brandon Vasquez, and Nashville comes home from Ohio with one point. This is Club and Country, West Bowling, Tim Sullivan, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I am the Wes of the Wes and Tim, and uh, I'm Nashville SC's radio voice. I am Tim Sullivan, the Tim of Wes and Tim, and I am the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. And now after our most awkward intro ever, we'll go on to a busy show because not only are we going to be talking about the FC Cincinnati match, about Vancouver coming up, but also about a big last week in news that we may or may not have previewed in great detail. Uh, so we've already talked about Shaq Moore because th- this was on its way. Um, but nonetheless, we'll talk more about him and hear from him now that uh, Nashville's new right back has been introduced to the club. Also a Mike Jacobs extension. But first, Nashville still unbeaten against Cincy in now eight all-time meetings. But the league is uh, is catching up to NSC as every team but two, besides Nashville, in the top nine of the West won last weekend. And so now the playoff line is tight and the heat is on heading into Saturday's first state ever with Vancouver. Yeah, certainly if you're looking to get on the right side of the ledger, Vancouver is one of the teams that you want to face. And that's particularly at home. This is a team that doesn't uh, have a ton of success on the road. But I, th- I also would say that the downtrodden nature of the Nashville SD zeitgeist uh, this week seems to be a little <laughs> bit of an overreaction. Um, yes, yes, I'm the small sample size guy. I do need to, to give, send you the, the, uh, the Walker Zimmerman uh, small sample size drop, and we can put this in there just constantly every show. But it, winning, winning on the road in Cincinnati would have been a big result. This is not the Cincinnati team that we've seen the past four years or three years, I guess. And... Drawing on the road is solid. Um, struggles struggles that seem to be behind them from the, the previous maybe three or four weeks definitely definitely are leaving a taste in people's mouths. But I think it's this result specifically. You can take a deep breath and not worry about it too much unless uh, it, it portends uh, the lack of a result against Vancouver as well. I think we need to meet everybody one of these days at the Melrose and we need to hand out bumper stickers that say, small sample size or ask about my small <laughs> sample size or something like that. I don't know. That might get misinterpreted, uh, but I do also love the slogan, uh, raising the downtrodden nature of the Nashville SC zeitgeist. That's <laughs> also a good one. Listen, uh, man, I'm a wordsmith. What can I say? You are indeed. You're more of a word Sullivan, actually, than a wordsmith. Hey, uh, uh, also we're three minutes in and we got the worst dad joke we'll hear all day. <laughs> Really? You're you're setting that bar already? I, uh, man, that's got, a high bar to clear. We got like <laughs> at least thirty more minutes, probably longer. We'll see. Um and also, you know, Mike Jacobs told us when Alistair Johnson got traded that Nashville wanted more at right back. He was being literal. Nashville got it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we teased it for months and and we didn't really follow the ups and downs of this pursuit of Shaq Moore because I really don't think there were a ton of downs. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Jacobs was surprisingly candid when he spoke to the media about signing Shaq that 
this this was something that was basically expected. It wasn't going to happen in the preseason transfer window, but it was not quite a foregone conclusion, but but as close to it as you can possibly be. I've you know, I've been reporting since March that I that I was aware that as soon as Tenerife's season was over, this was going to happen. And mm-hmm. it was just a matter of timing and now it's here. Yeah, and, and they said in the press conference that this was something they were trying to get across the line in January. Tenerife mm-hmm. wanted to hold on to him. They were in a promotion battle, and he was yep. a key member of that team. Uh, and uh, now he will hopefully, for Nashville SC purposes, be a key member of the boys in gold. Uh, in the early shout, we'll recap the Cincy match. We'll uh, play some sound from Shaq Moore's presser and, and chat through our notes there, plus Mike Jacobs' big extension news as well, which uh, introduced to Vancouver just a little bit. And then an interview with an Asheville SC player. Eric Miller's going to come on and talk about a special initiative, Tim, that, that he's a part of, that he's helping lead from the Nashville perspective. And you had an awesome discussion with him. Yeah, Eric is, uh, I know people might not be quite as high on, on his play and, and you and I have kind of pushed back on that as well. But there is no denying that Eric is an awesome guy and he's somebody who, um, like I do, he cares very passionately about the, I guess, the struggle of LGBT people, not just uh, around the country, but specifically in Tennessee. He was very, he was very mm-hmm. clear about that. That this is something that that speaks to him, and, and I'm glad that uh, we could kind of be a part of helping him, uh, you know, promote what he's looking forward to here. The interview coming up just after the early shout, and then in the mailbag is Gary Smith, Jeff Fisher. I yep. love that. We will question. not. We we will say yes and not be uh, not be expounding any further. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Yep, that's it. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun chat there. Plus more striker talk, some XG theory because we've gone at least a week without that. Only because we've gone at least a week without the show. Uh, so uh, it's gonna be a fun conversation as well. It's all coming up. But first, I'm gonna make a commitment right now to call my shot here on the Tuesday morning that most people listen according to our metrics. I'm gonna I'm gonna say. I will be at ML Rose after Saturday's Vancouver game. Gonna be there. Can't wait. Already thinking about my burger selection. Oh, let's let's plan on it. Let's plan on both of us being here, and hopefully yes. uh, enough people can can make it out and uh, come hang out with us a little bit. Let's do it. Meet us. Meet up with us. ML Rose radio goes off air about 30, 35 minutes after the game, so I'll be a little later than some of you guys. Save a spot for me at the bar, and uh, looking forward to having a little little meet up and. Uh, now I got to decide what I'm going to have. Is it a burger <laughs> night? Is it a wings night? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. The, the press conference might go a little bit longer than that, but I will. That's I will true. be there as well. And and we're gonna hopefully after last week's discussion of of celebratory versus uh, a downtrodden <laughs> um, uh, beverages of choice, uh, we'll be having some of the former uh, this Saturday evening. Celebratory whiskey, downtrodden beer. Again, that's my formula. <laughs> Tim is just order one of every beer and just sample. Um, I love it, man. Pretty much. Yeah, it's good. Good philosophy. Uh, all right. Come find us at an MLROs at 8th Avenue. Uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, so that, that's fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to it. it worked Can't out. Wait. Let's head to the early shout. Yeah, for me, it was overall a package. Uh, Mike, Mike Jacob was really instrumental in this move. You know, he's been tracking me for a while. So, uh, you know, just his, this interest in me from a, from a while back was, 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 you know, very important. Also, like you said, playing with Walker, I think that's a that's a good partnership to start to build. And, um, and um, yeah, just, just felt like it was the best, you know, the best time, the best move at this point in my career, and I'm really happy with it. Nashville has a new right back, and he's exactly the guy Mike Jacobs wanted. In fact, there were conversations with him all the way back in January. Uh, Tim, in one sentence or more, I guess, the supporters <laughs> can share with their buddies at the tailgate as they as they um, soccer-splain uh, this topic. How will he make this club better? I think the the... 
elevator pitch is that he fills a very specific need that this club has. Um, this, this roster lacks a fullback who can overlap and provide attacking third width, but who also has the athletic ability to track back and not turn that into a liability on the other end of the field. Um, Alex Muel has a tendency to drift inside, which you would expect because he's, he came up as a winger and he's kind of being played um, kind of shoehorned into a position to get him onto the field. And that kind of crowds some of NSC's buildup, which leads to some of the issues that, um, we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, and we'll probably talk about about, about Hani Mukhtar being too much of a, a factor for this team. Um, and then the, the other right back option is Eric Miller, who um, we like very much, but he doesn't have the up and down ability to get into the attack and defend consistently over the course of 90 minutes. Um, big picture is is those guys are not national team players, and, and Shaq Moore is, and that's not any sort of slight to those guys. It's because Shaq Moore is a very good player, and he's a guy that that not only you know has that that next level ability, but the way that he applies it is very specific to what Nashville SC needs. Because of the reporting that Tim has is that done, one sentence is that one sentence <laughs> that that works. I didn't I didn't hear many commas or periods in there, um, so I think it's not only. <laughs> Maybe a run-on sentence, but it works. It works. Uh, because of the reporting you had done, because of the the legwork you had done, you know, you anticipated. We both anticipated and both heard that, that this was close. Uh, so we talked about it last week on the show. But let's go a little deeper into uh, Shaq Moore's background with our Gold Nuggets today. Learn a little more. Uh, we did say last week that he played 101 matches over his last three seasons for Tenerife. His career really has heated up in the last three years. For perspective, that's 55% of his career minutes that happened in the most recent three-eighths of his career. 37.5% is my Ooh, math there, I think. Maybe. Hey, T, more more than just more, football. More like, more like West dividing than West bowling. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, outdid the, I outdid the dad joke. You I? did. We knew it was going to happen. Oh, man, you cleared that bar real fast. <laughs> Oh, back from that misery. Uh, to, uh, this this is a pretty important piece for a team with promotion hopes in the Spanish second division. In fact, he's he's played in La Liga before. He's mm-hmm. he's got experience in that top tier too. Yeah, let's let's not um, kind of overstate you know the reasons why a lot of his career um, has kind of been crammed into the most recent three years, and it's because he's been on the books with a second division club. Mm-hmm. Before that, he was on loan from. Liga's Levante, or he was playing for Levante, which um, I have never done. So let's not let's not uh, minimize the fact that this dude has played against like Messi and some of these <laughs> some of these massive names of global football. But I mean, when you are on the books for a La Liga two team, you are going to be a little bit more of a priority for them than than um, you know he was at Roos. Uh, on loan from Levante, they wanted to use him to win, but they didn't feel a need to develop a younger player. Mm-hmm. So he blossomed into an every game starter for Tenerife when healthy and available. Um, unfortunately, this year he was um, not as healthy as he has been in past years. And he also had a few <laughs> a few uh, trips across the Atlantic with the U.S. men's national team. So he did only play, I think it was 23 games yep. this year. But um, he's a guy who was a crucial piece of their promotion effort, or frankly, he would have been here in January. He's played with Walker Zerman before. and I think most of us would have would have known by now that he played with them with the U.S. Men's National Team. Also one cap way back in 2014 with the FC Dallas Reserves on the same back line, by the way, with Ryan <laughs> Hollingshead. Um, random, random. I love Transfer Market and the way you can trans- tra- tra- track some of those things back. How much of a factor do you think that relationship with Walker was in, in spurring Shaq's interest in returning Nashville's advances, or at the very least, if minimal, how can that chemistry help that transition process and help him work in? 
Yeah, I don't think Nashville's thought process really took that into account, nor do I think Shaq's thought process in choosing Nashville explicitly took that into account, at least. Um, Once Nashville identified him as a target, the idea was bounced off Walker um, from both ends. (laughs) I think Nashville asked Walker about him, and and he asked Walker about what it's like to be an NSC player. But um, it's what he provides and and the need from from a Nashville perspective for that skill set that makes this the perfect fit for each side. That said, the knowledge that these guys have of each other and Moore's desire to play his way into the World Cup by proving he's a solid piece next to Zimmerman specifically because we believe Walker to be basically a nailed-on starter for the U.S. men's national team can only help kind of motivate Shaq to make the most of this opportunity. And, uh, you know, he's not just going to be hoping to play against some of the world's best coming up, but he already has played against some of the most prominent players in the world over in Spain primarily and a little bit for the U.S. men's national team. Messi, Suarez, Griezmann, Rooney, randomly in a friendly against England way back in the day, uh, Mbappe, Giroud, even Anibal Godoy, as he did start in that win uh, down in Florida where Anibal was called for the uh, the penalty on Walker. Fair to say that he's more seasoned than your average 25-year-old with with experience against guys like that? When you look at uh, Americans and Americans who are going to em- end up in MLS, it's unquestionable. Um, most guys who are good enough to go overseas at a young age like Shaq did and play minutes in a top five league like he did in La Liga at Levante don't usually have this sort of career path that he's had so far. I don't I don't think you're going to see Christian Pulisic come and, and play for Inter Miami next year or something <laughs> like that. I mean, and most of the guys who do return are guys more like – I can't think of one off the top of my head. Sebastian Soto, who is who has not come back, but probably will. Mm-hmm. These are guys kind of with their tail between their legs saying, okay, it didn't work out for me in Europe. Um, they are not guys who are coming back on TAM contracts like Shaq is doing. He's a guy who, is, who has made this choice. He could have stayed in Europe. I guess the simplest way to put it. Yeah. And most guys who could stay in Europe are not coming back to MLS. So I think that that makes it a sort of career path that I don't want to say unique, but I, I can't think off the top of my head of anybody who, who has done it that way. Um, Landon Donovan would be the closest thing. Mm-hmm. It, it brings me no pleasure to report that this guy is not Landon Donovan, <laughs> but that's, it's that sort of thing where a, a guy coming back to MLS usually is not doing it as high as a high profile player like Shaq is. Yeah, great point. Uh, we both spoke with Mike Jacobs this week. You spoke with Shaq as well. Here are a couple interesting clips from what they had to say about uh, about this process. I wanted to ask about your relationship with Mike Jacobs, how that came about, and how you know progressed to the point where you were comfortable signing with Nashville SC and making this the next step in your career. Yeah, Mike was, uh, like I said, was instrumental in this move. Um, we've had dialogue for the, uh, for a while back. Um, so just... Just knowing that he's been interested from a, from a while back, it seemed it seemed genuine his interest. You know, it seemed like he was looking out for my best interest, so that played a crucial part. Um, like you said, I think we tried to get a deal done in in, in January. It wasn't to be, but now that he just stayed persistent, uh, I think I think uh, with that persistence, he finally got his reward. And uh, now it's up to me, just kind of just you know repay him for all that trust he's given to me. I think as we went through last season and you know the challenges with trying to put Alistair a new deal, I think with what he wanted and with where we saw him. You know, part of us also kind of thought if this is what it would take to sign the player X at that amount, what else is out there at that amount? And, you know, very early on for us, the idea was if we're going to invest like that in a right back, you know, maybe we need to, to raise our bar as far as what we're looking to try to do in that role. And I would say very early on and very quickly that, that target became Shaq. Uh, there's never been a player that we've signed for our club that Gary Smith hasn't signed off on uh, in any position in any year. Uh, for us... I would say we probably looked at somewhere between 30 and 40 right backs uh, over the last two years. 
very quickly as we started looking at someone like Shaq, I would tell you that happened early on. And I would say very early on, most right backs Gary looked at, he compared to Shaq. You know, so in different countries, different leagues, I'd ask him for feedback. He'd say, well, this guy's good, but he doesn't attack like Shaq. Uh, you know, I like this guy, but he's not as good a 1v1 defender as Shaq. So, Tim, that relationship between Mike and Shaq, clearly instrumental as you, uh, as you got out of Shaq there. Uh, what else jumped, at you, what jumped out at you from Shaq's press conference? We talked to a lot of, of professional athletes in this line of work. It's literally what the line of work is. Um, yeah. Um, you know, guys who have been pros for a third of their lives are really good with the coach speak. But Shaq seemed to be genuinely humble and, and the humility that he showed um, kind of belied the position that he's in for the reasons that I just talked about a moment ago. Mm-hmm. He has every right to believe that a return to MLS is, is kind of a step down or a backward step in his career. He has played at, at a top five league in Europe. He didn't project that at all. He seemed to be very happy with the opportunity that N- Nashville SC and Major League Soccer, yes, are willing to provide him. And he's motivated to play his part in helping the team win. All the other stuff that comes with being Shaq Moore, he was. He seemed to be very willing to say that's all secondary to coming in here and winning soccer games. And that's what you want to hear for sure. Yeah, I've always heard humility defined not as being down on yourself, but knowing your place, knowing your mm-hmm. role in a situation. I think that's a fair way to, to put it in this case because, yeah, he was not conceited or over the top. He also made it clear that he's here to do that part to help the team win, and he, he was oozing with confidence at the same time that he was exuding humility, and that's mm-hmm. a combo that I think is going to make him a good fit in this locker room. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, you talk about having maybe talked with Walker before this move. Walker could attest probably what most have said about Shaq Moore, if not everybody, that he's a good locker room guy as well. It seems like he's going to fit in. Uh, really well. Uh, what was interesting to me, I guess I'm b- betraying my role a little bit as as the primary like editor of, of the clips after the fact, I chose the clip about Mike saying, you know, we looked at maybe 35, <laughs> 40 guys and Gary kept on comparing them back to Shaq. I loved that line. I almost thanked Mike because my question was next for giving us the clip for the show that I wanted to use. I knew that in that moment, I was like, my question is not going to be as good as this one because he, he just nailed it. I think, you know, what what we didn't see, what fans are not going to see is the copious amount of research and maybe even pitching some players to Gary before Shaq was pitched to Gary ultimately mm-hmm. um, or while maybe as backups to, to Shaq as other options if this fell through um, to hear you know, Gary to hear Mike say, this is the guy that we wanted and we got him is, is I think a significant statement in this, in this case. Uh, not the only news though, Mike Jacobs in extension through 2026, he will stay as general manager of this club, Tim. Yeah. The length of that term that you just mentioned is, is very surprising to me. Uh, 2026 is a long way away. Uh, I guess the Knicks are going to have to wait him out ah, of that contract bad. before they, before they hire him to be their, their director of basketball operations. But uh, in all seriousness, this is a great idea. I, I, we talk about this weekly on here, and I talk about it constantly at clubcountryusa.com, but there have been some misses in Mike's GM job with Nashville SC. I think Miguel Nazarit, unquestionably. Um, David Akam, for some reasons that are not related to being on the field, his home was destroyed by a tornado. <laughs> um, and, it, and it was difficult for him to get back on the field here. Um, Ake Loba seems to be trending in the direction where it's not going to work out. But the hits have been so big. Um, Hani Mukhtar, Randall Leal, a variety of intra-league acquisitions, you know, Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy, even CJ Sapong, who uh, will be answering a mailbag question about in a moment too. Mm-hmm. But 
when you look at what Mike has been able to do and what he's been able to do, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that he's done it on a small budget because I think John Ingram would be very willing to open the purse strings. If that was what Mike Jacobs said he needed. Mm -hmm. That's what my, if Mike and Ian went up to, uh, to Ingram and said, we need a, a more money to sign Messi. I think John Ingram would do it. Messi to Nashville. <laughs> but, you heard it here first. But, but Mike has done it without being wasteful. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're going to miss sometimes, but I think, Nashville SC fans don't really realize how frequently that happens in major league soccer and how, what a small percentage of, of misses are represented by guys like Nazarit Akam, um, potentially Loba mm -hmm. that happens to every club and, and probably more frequently than it has happened to Nashville. And what defines you as a GM ultimately is not the hits or the misses, unless it's a $20 million hit or a $20 million miss. What defines you is the ability to build a cohesive identity and a plan. And even the strongest Mike Jacobs critic would say Nashville has a clear identity and they're operating within it and they're succeeding within it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I, I don't think I am terribly surprised by the extension through 26 because I think it's a firm statement by this club that this is who we are. You have given us our identity and we want that to continue. And, and boy, how strong does that make this club in the transfer market then when you've got your GM sitting there, not that this is going to draw somebody in necessarily, but as a tiebreaker between Nashville and a less stable place, this is a club who knows who it is and players who see themselves within that framework clubs who see what Nashville is and see it, maybe a, you know, a selling opportunity. They're going to be drawn in by the fact that Nashville has that stability. And, and next up, Let's see a Gary a Gary Smith extension as well. Uh, I'm going to say it right here, right now. You know, maybe they're waiting to see all this this year trends. You don't want to do that and then have the club miss the playoffs. Um, but I don't think either of us thinks that's going to happen. And I think uh, Gary should be next if this club is able to achieve the top five or six finish that that it should achieve. Looking back at Cincinnati, then just brief wrap there. Teal Bunbury scores his first goal for Nashville SC. Not only the goal, he led the team with four shots and. I think, Tim, we were maybe a week ahead of the game in, in <laughs> pushing back against some of the criticism that he'd received. Not for the individual mistakes, because there were mistakes that he'd made earlier this year, but that he was just a, a non-starter for this team. Uh, I think I think many were too hard on him, and I think he validated that statement. Uh, Logan Elliott, the recent You're So Nashville If winner, by the way, in the Nashville scene, congrats, <laughs> Logan, uh, says, you and Tim corrected the record last pot on why fans were wrong to judge him so early you all couldn't have looked more correct. Thank you. Um, yeah, Logan. Whenever you want to put that uh, in there and call us right about something, folks, we'll yeah. always read it on you. Yeah, yeah. Flattery, flattery works wonders <laughs> for us. But not I do appreciate, I do appreciate not only the credit from Logan, but uh, his his regular listenership and uh, yes. and mailbag participation. But the reality is, we are the small sample size podcast for a reason. Um, and and in this particular instance, we understood that the 250 minutes that he'd played this year that that. I, I'm very comfortable saying that the first 250 minutes that he played this year were not that good, yeah. um, especially the two big mistakes against Real Salt Lake. But this is also a guy who had more than a decade of a resume already on tape before that that indicates he's a pretty good player. Maybe he wasn't going to live up to any of the previous years, but certainly um, saying, okay, the 250 minutes that he's played now means more than all the rest of that is, is the epitome of, of small sample size is kind of skewing our perception. No Hani for the first time this year, and that's what led Teal to play. And you all probably already know this by now. Just a precautionary deal, mm -hmm. um, not anything where he's expected to be out for a long period of time. Nonetheless, uh, the first time that Nashville's been without him, how'd the attack respond to that? Yeah, it wasn't great. 
and it, it was fine, but it wasn't great. Um, without Hani as a pressure release valve, which I think people don't realize how important he is in that respect. And I've, oh, yeah. I've already in, in this episode pushed back on, on the fact that um, Nashville's kind of uh, too reliant on him, but I'm coming up with other ways in which they're super reliant on him. So maybe I'm wrong there, but um, I, because he isn't there to, to get out of pressure in midfield, the lack of sharp passing from from the holding midfielders, which has been apparent in, in several games this year, it sort of became a problem for Nashville SC. They ended up going vertical, and, and you can create chances that way for sure. And Nashville did create chances. They created better chances than, than Cincinnati over the course of the match. But it also means you're going to be having the opponent come at you a lot, and you're going to have to do a lot of defending. And I don't think that's necessarily um, singularly responsible for the goal, but it can play a part in, in maybe falling asleep at the back a little bit. And Nash will be glad to get Hani back, of course. They'll also be really glad to get Anibal Godoy back. I think his absence yeah, has absolutely. Been, it's been really tough for this team. And it's putting more more mileage on Dax's legs, I think, than they probably want to want to put uh, in consecutive matches. And uh, yeah, that, I think, you know, Anibal's that perfect two-way option in, in midfield that can help, you know, overcome the loss of a Hani or more optimally team up with a Hani. Uh, in that situation, uh, Cincinnati doubled Nashville shot tally, showed a lot more metal I think, than we can both agree that it has in the past. There were moments on the broadcast where I felt like Nashville was lucky to take anything from that game. Would you agree? No, I, I did not. <laughs> Despite the shot total, like I just mentioned, NSC accumulated more expected goals in Cincinnati and the boys in gold gave up a lot of shots because they were executing the game plan. And part of it is what I just mentioned about sitting back and, and having to defend because you don't have Hani available to be your pressure release valve. Nine of since these 16 shots were either from outside the box or from really bad angles inside yeah, the box true. that are going to be low percentage chances. The problem was that the familiar bugaboo um, came up and struck and, and that was set pieces. And I, I will not be be further commenting on whether Teal Bunbury was responsible <laughs> for marking Brandon Vasquez on that play because uh, we, we've had to put in so much yeoman's work defending him after the RSL game and, and since then and until he finally got on the score sheet this weekend. But but uh, there's a, a an opportunity for personal development there, I, I would say, in terms of set piece marking. We never said that some of the criticism was not unfounded. It yeah. was unfounded. We, we just said, you know, people. It, it doesn't trump everything too. else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, that's and, and maybe I'm biased too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've not rewatched the game yet. I've watched the highlights, but but when I'm on air, I'm I'm influenced. My observations of the game are often influenced by flow rather than by things like xg <laughs> and so uh you know the the flow was entirely in Cincy's direction in the second half the the pitch was slanted their direction and so it to me felt like more of a dominant display than perhaps the xg might might indicate uh next up vancouver the one team nashville's never played until st louis joins the league of course they're 10th in the west but just five points back of nashville they'll be playing on short rest uh, after a loss to chicago at home uh, on saturday they'll be playing in the canadian championship tuesday so for those of you listening after tuesday you know how they did against toronto at home uh, nsc could rise as high as third with a big win plus a big minnesota loss um and some help or they could fall as far as ninth tim with a loss and be below the playoff line for the first time in a few games when you look specifically at what Vancouver is going to provide as a challenge there, I think I've already scooped myself and saying that they, they aren't very good <laughs> and certainly not on the road, but they're not, they're not quite as bad as they have been in some recent years, but they're, they are pretty poor. And that's particularly the case on the road. There are other trips this long or longer so far this year, um, a four, nothing loss at Columbus in the opener and two, one losses in Montreal and in Charlotte, 
Um, Cincinnati is like 60 miles closer than, than Nashville. So uh, their, their draw in Cincinnati doesn't quite make the, uh, make the cut there, but um, this has not been a team that has performed well on the road. And this is going to be one of their longest trips of the year. So um, it is the last one. So then maybe there's a, there's kind of a, you know, a damn the torpedoes attitude from them in, in this last long road trip. They still go to Minnesota, which is 1,400 miles compared to 2,100 um, heading to Nashville via the air. Um, that's the only other major one that they have left. But when you look at the the what they are going to present as a challenge, um, Lucas Cavallini and, and Ryan Gauld are the lifeblood of the attack. Cavallini is the guy who um, has, has worked his way into the national team picture there, and that's something that um, I think, uh, you know, Vancouver is not really known for being a repository for national team players. Gold came over, I believe, in the summer window last year and immediately transformed their attack um, at the back. They've rotated through a cast of uninspiring keepers so far this year. Um, four different guys have played, and the, and the two that they prefer, the two that, that are their regularly used guys, including Thomas Hassall, the guy who is the, the hero of the MLS's back tournament, if I recall correctly, some something in, yeah. in 2020. Yep. Um, both of those guys are, are performing worse than average MLS average against expected goals. So they're not going out there and stealing games to say the least. And that's something that Nashville SC is, is going to have opportunities to put shots on these guys. And, and you can expect that they are not going to go out there and steal a game. Like say Andre Blake did in Geodas park. Three quick hitting stats on my end. They have the second lowest performing attack in the West away from home, less than one expected goal per 90. Um, they've been out possessed in every single road match this season. Um, and won the road XG battle just once, so uh, two strikes against them there. Um, but they're unbeaten in four road matches, 2-0-2, after losing their first seven to start the season. So I think they're, they're trying to find a little bit of stability on the road, uh, but I think this is one where Nashville will, will certainly be seeking and expecting uh, three points. For sure. And there aren't a lot of those. <laughs> and so if you have already lost to Sporting Kansas City, you need to win this one. This yes. is if Nashville goes out and does not win against Vancouver, we will not be ha having the same sort of kind of copacetic attitude that we have after a road draw at Cincinnati. No, or, or even, a, you know, a, a loss at home to LAFC. We're mm -hmm. like, yeah, all right. That makes sense. It's a home loss, but it's it's a palatable one. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of palatable, let's talk in Melrose for a second. Then we're going to get to, uh, that was a smooth segue that I ruined yeah, I like by that. calling out how smooth of a segue it was. Uh, in a minute, we're going to get to a, just a, a really awesome discussion you had with Eric Miller. Uh, but first, Tim, I have uh, I have a top three to give you, and I want to... I want to read to you the top three menu items at ML Rose that we have never, to my recollection, mentioned on this show. And I want to hear if you have had these things. Because I, I, I don't want to get in the rut of just talking about the burgers, which are awesome, the wings, which are great, the Carolina sweets, which you introduced to me and have opened my eyes. So, number three. <laughs> right. And this is this is an order of list on the menu. This is not an order of preference because it's really about what you're in the mood for at the time. Number three would be the grilled chicken nachos they come with queso black beans jalapeno which my wife likes to get on the side load them up load them up for me uh sour cream salsa great grilled chicken have you had the grilled chicken nachos before uh so i've never ordered them uh it is definitely right in my lovely bride's wheelhouse for something that she'd order nice. so certainly i've had them as leftovers or, or eaten off of her plate before <laughs> Uh, they're they're awesome they're really good the the queso on the nachos just makes it some of these places like to just put like some you know illegitimate melted cheese <laughs> illegitimate like, queso new band name yeah no <laughs> it's a good one. It's good. <laughs> this is a this is this is legit queso for sure uh number two on my on my list here will be the turkey club sandwich i think we've talked about that here 
that that is my wife's go-to. She loves her mm-hmm. good club sandwich. When I'm going all in on a greasy burger, uh, she she goes for the turkey club. I'll, I'll admit, if it's if I'm looking for something just a little bit lighter, it's a, it's a great option. I'm not a huge turkey guy, but I have had this um, again. Uh, eating off of someone else's plate at my table, uh, same person, in fact. Uh, as, as turkey sandwiches go, you can't can't do better in this town. That's for sure. Tim, not a turkey guy, uh, no. so he's not going to be transferred to Galatasaray anytime soon. <laughs> uh, number three. She or... just call me. We can change this. <laughs> Fenerbahce. Uh, Cajun dry rub wings. We've talked about the wings a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about the sauces. One secret go-to here, not very secret, but a nice go-to, is to get the Cajun dry rub wings, but to get a sauce on the side. And so you kind of have have your uh, your rub and eat it too, if you will, or have your sauce and eat it too. Um, oh, it's good, man. It's it's a really I don't know if you've had the Cajun dry rub wing, wings or if you typically go for a sauced wing, but if you've not had the Cajun ones, they're they're very good. Yeah, I actually am a huge dry rub aficionado. Mm. I haven't had it um, at ML Rose yet. I did not know that was on the menu. I think maybe Saturday night, if if people want to join us there, I will be uh, sitting there having some Cajun dry rub wings. Give us a ring. We'll give you some winks. Hey, there Come you on go. by. Uh, ML Rose, I can't wait to see you guys on, on Saturday night after the game. Uh, awesome discussion with Eric Miller, Tim. He has played uh, as many minutes or as many matches at this point in the year uh, as he has in any MLS season since 2018. He's just a couple appearances away from that, from that mark. He's been a steady contributor to this team, but especially off the pitch, really contributing mm-hmm. in a big way. Uh, is playing for Pride uh, Initiative, his role in that, really important. And, and you were able to catch up with him and have, have a really interesting, um, pretty pretty profound discussion. All right, Eric. So um, obviously you're talking about your your um, playing for Pride campaign today. Um, I guess first and foremost, um, you're, you're, to the best of my knowledge at least, a, a cisgendered straight guy. What inspired you to get behind this sort of cause? Yeah, I think... Uh... Obviously, I don't have a lot to offer any diversity conversation as a straight white dude, but I think uh, just generally. So my mom actually was the person who sent to me a while ago when Austin Duluth started it way back in the day. And she's like, hey, this is a really cool thing. You should try to get involved with it. So I started doing it when I was with the Rapids and I've just kind of been doing it every year since. And it feels like um, a lot of great stuff has happened since then, but a lot of bad stuff has happened since then for the LGBTQ community. So it feels really important to keep doing it. It feels like a great way to kind of every year just to continue to bring awareness and continue to try to be an advocate for the LGBTQ community. What is it that, um, that you feel you can bring as, as somebody who, you know, is not a, a member of the LGBTQ community aside from being an ally, what is it that you think you can bring? So I think a lot of it comes down to sports is kind of the, one of the last few things where kind of everybody from both sides of the aisle is watching and paying attention. I think, athletes can kind of play a really important role in that um, people who are Democrats, people who are Republicans, people who are somewhere in the middle, they all watch sports. And I think athletes have a really important platform. I think, especially here in Tennessee with, um, you know, there's been so many bills that they've tried to pass that are against the uh, LGBTQ community. The governor signed a bill about transgender kids and what locker rooms and bathrooms they're allowed to use. And there's another one with doctors not being able to prescribe hormone blockers and stuff like that for your kids. So I think in Tennessee, it's really, really important because we're just kind of in a, in a moment where being an advocate and trying to raise money is so important and just showing that, you know, we're here to support you and if sports is the place you want to be, we're, we're there for you, but you know, just in your whole life, we're there for you and we want to be supportive however we can. Yeah, that's something that is is pretty interesting to me. 
what has your experience been like um, in Tennessee, especially that's different than either growing up in Minnesota or, you know, you said you first got involved with this when you were playing in Colorado. What is the difference in the experience for you so far? Yeah, so I think obviously this is a this is a red state. This is the first one I've ever lived in. I think some of the stuff that comes with that is very different. And I think obviously Nashville is very liberal, kind of within the city. But this team, I think in, in Middle Tennessee and kind of the whole South, a lot Mid South, a lot of people pay attention to. It. And I think that's where, as athletes, you can really make an imprint. And I know, you know, I was out, I was in Minnesota. I played with Colin Martin when he came out mm-hmm. there, and that was just like such a cool thing to witness as his teammate and it was so exciting to see kind of the outpouring of support he got and and just how everyone was really there for him and how he was such a a great person to do it because he's he was just a great person and he's just such a great teammate and I was so proud of him and just proud to be his teammate and I think for me um, you know it hasn't been players that have come out since um, in MLS but just showing that you know if if that's who you are that's okay and guys are gonna be okay and guys are more than happy your teammate and it just matters how good you are at soccer and all that other stuff. We can kind of leave outside of it, you know? Yeah. That's something that's, that's also pretty interesting to me. I think nowadays Colin um, for better or for worse is seen as the guy who came out while he was still playing soccer. He's obviously, yeah. he's obviously much more than that. Yeah. What was your experience like um, being there when he came out? What, what have you, how did that kind of shape the way that you approach these sort of topics now? Yeah, it was, so it was very interesting. Um, Cause we, all the team knew like he was pretty open with us on the team, but obviously mm-hmm. it wasn't out publicly and it was just normal for us. Right. Because we kind of, he was on the team, I think since 20, I think I got there in 2016, I got there in uh, the beginning of 18 and I knew Colin from growing up as well. But mm-hmm. so I got there and it was just kind of thing that everyone the team knew and everyone was okay with it. It was just normal. And then it was very cool to see just in Minnesota with the fans, with the supporters, with, with everyone kind of throughout the country in the soccer community, how much support there was for him. And I, I was really happy to see that. And obviously just to see how many people were there for him and were just kind of there in support, however he needed it, it was very cool. Um, and obviously ever since it's kind of, like you said, he's kind of become known as the guy that came out, even though he's much more than that. He's a great mm-hmm. soccer player besides, but it would be, it would be great if there was more guys. And if there was uh, a level of comfortability that guys felt like they had, I think that's the really important thing. And I hope someday that we get there. And that's why I'm trying to do kind of my little part to help. <clears throat> And what do you see your role as, as an ally to the community? How can you, or, or how can, you know, me, for example, how can, how can other, um, you know, straight people be allies to the LGBTQ plus community? The, the easiest one is to, to donate money. I think that's why the sweepstakes is good, obviously, mm-hmm. because it's a good way to have money go to athlete ally and a bunch of other really good organizations that are doing really important work. Obviously there's, again, there's not a ton that if you're a straight white dude, you can do for any diversity conversation, but you can raise money. You can try to raise awareness. And I think just being an ally and showing that you are supportive, hopefully goes a long way. And especially if you are in this platform as a professional athlete, where you are a role model for kids all over Tennessee, all over the country that they see that. And that's something that they pick up on and that's something that they want to follow, hopefully. So you mentioned it there, the sweepstakes. Talk to us about it. What are the, what are the prizes that people can, can be entered for and how do they get involved with the sweepstakes that you're running? So there's a, a link that I'm going to, I'm actually going to post, it, I think in the next five or 10 minutes, hopefully. Um, but I've, I've done different stuff before doing money and I never, we've, we've done jerseys before, but there's um, a company that we actually started partnering with, with the PA called Engage. Mm-hmm. They've done a bunch of sweepstakes stuff in the past. So they kind of helped me take it to the next level, which is good. So the, the coolest prize, the first one overall is you get a, a tour of Geodis 
park that I'll take you on. We'll go everywhere. The opportunity to be a uh, community flag bearer for one of the games. You get a signed jersey from everyone on the team. And then I think there's some sort of swag bag additionally for the grand prize. Um, the second one is uh, a team signed jersey that has actually, it's a commemorative for the first home game. So it has like a very cool Nashville home opener, Joe's Park, Philadelphia Union with the date. We all, that's the jersey that we wore for the home opener, which is super rare and hard to find. And then there's, I think, seven additional team signed jerseys. So that's awesome. And hopefully people just want to donate to donate, but there's also a cool prize to win potentially. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. It should be fun for people, whoever wins. And hopefully the people that don't still feel like their money was uh, was well spent. And, and uh, for people who aren't familiar with the organization, what what does the money go to? What sort of initiatives do they use those funds for? So Athlete Ally is a uh, organization that does a lot of advocation and education, I believe. So they kind of go around and just kind of do educational stuff. So whether that's in youth sports, college sports, professional sports, it's a lot of just educating people on the LGBT community, how to be supportive, how to be advocates, stuff like that. They do stuff as well. Um, so part of the money that Athlete Ally this year from playing for Pride is going to different states organizations within that. So some of the states that have past recently extremely harsh lgbtq laws they're kind of going in there and trying to either lobby or advocate to kind of get those removed or kind of figure out a way around those so athlete is a great organization i actually um when colin came out in minnesota that was the first time i was really around them they had a little event for them and everyone there was great they're doing really really important stuff and it's it's a great place to send the money because they they know what to do and they know how to really hopefully make change as a guy who's who's whose heart is in this cause, obviously, does it, does it kind of give you positive feelings when, for example, before a game at Yoda's park, you look up and see like the, the pride flags in the, in the supporter section and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the supporters throughout MLS, I think are generally really good. And with the pride stuff, I think they're incredible. I think they're, you know, stadium to stadium, wherever you go, we see it at Yoda's. I saw it in Minnesota. I saw it in Colorado. There's just, a lot of support for the LGBT community. And that's really, really cool. And I think from the club standpoint, having pride jerseys from the league standpoint, having pride month, I think the clubs, the supporters in the league have all done a really, really good job, but it is really cool to see the supporters take it on and really show initiative with flags with whatever it is. And so that's, that's been really cool here for sure. Hey, you're a guy who's obviously extremely invested in this cause. Do you feel uh, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but do you feel like the, the league and the team are are doing enough to to continue to promote that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think they do a good job. I think it's always difficult when you're dealing with a league at that high level and state mm-hmm. to state. There's different things going on, different owners with different interests of maybe different campaigns they want to support or whatever it is. So you can't do everything all the time, which I, I realize is tough, but I think our club's been great. I think the league is, is doing a fairly good job, but I, I think the supporters, like you said, are doing an amazing job. And I think it's up to us as players to kind of continue advocating, continue trying to raise money and just, just doing whatever we can to help the LGBTQ community. Talking just a little bit of soccer here, you guys are sitting right near the the cut line for the playoffs right now. What do you guys need to do to, to, you know, finish this season on a strong note and return to the MLS cup playoffs? I think we, we just got to start capitalizing on home games. You know, I think we're, we're in an interesting position compared to years past where I think we've, we've played really well and not gotten results. Whereas in the past we were playing okay. We're playing pretty well and getting results. So I think it's just kind of about nailing down those really fine details and really making sure that we're going to maximize our performance. You know, we've had good performances. We've had leads at home and we just have to make sure we capitalize. You know, we have a huge stretch of home games coming 
MLS traditionally is a league that's really tough to play on the road for opposing teams. And mm-hmm. our fans have been really good and we just have to start capitalizing and really making Geodis Park a, a really difficult place to come where, where we can win a lot of games. All right, Eric Miller, thank you so much for joining us to chat a little bit about your sweepstakes through Engage for Playing for Pride. Uh, you can find it, people. I'm going to read the URL. So it's kind of <laughs> nice. Let'sengage.com slash pop-up slash Eric dash Miller dash sweepstakes. I think there was a shortened URL. I was really quickly looking for it and couldn't find it. But Eric, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, man. So, Tim, I'll, I'll just tell you what I, what I really enjoyed about that interview. And, and thanks for taking the time. Thanks to Eric for taking the time to, to um, talk about all of this. What I think is, is tempting for somebody who is, you know, as, as we both are, cisgender males, <laughs> cisgender white males, is to say, you know, so-and-so is, is you know, whether it's, a, you know, a, a minority, whether it's, you know, the LBGTQ community, it, it's, you know, I'm not a member of that community, and so I only need to listen, and I don't really have a have a share in advocating. Now, listen first is at what mm-hmm. we should always be doing, certainly. Um, but I think we all have a role to play in advocating on behalf of groups that may be marginalized or, or under-respected in certain places. And I, I love that Eric said that and you asked that question very pointedly look you're mm-hmm. you're not in this this category in this demographic but you find it important to speak up and i thought his answer was really good there yeah and it's a, it's a question that i asked not because i i was super curious about eric miller specifically but i think it's because somebody like you and i white white straight guys um often i i don't want to say are scared to advocate but there's there's a potential element of almost an imposter syndrome when you're trying to advocate for people. Yeah. And Eric did a very good job saying like, look, it doesn't matter if, if you feel like you, like you can't speak for those people because you're not speaking for those people. You're speaking for yourself as an ally. And that's something that is so important because we kind of overlook how important it is for people who are in LGBTQ plus communities to have allies in, in, in people who are not a member of that community. Um, the, the support from from everyone around the community and everyone outside and adjacent to the community is just as important. And it was it was really refreshing. You don't hear a ton of pro athletes say that. I'm, I'll, I'll just be very, very yeah. blunt. You don't hear a ton of pro athletes say that. And to hear from Eric, a guy who, you know, has has every you know similarity with us demographically and saying, listen, we got to stand up for these people. I thought it was very refreshing. Completely agree. Soccer is for everyone. Our community needs to be for everyone. And that probably hopefully goes without saying that this podcast is as well. We want to be an accepting, warm place. And so um, thanks to Eric for coming in. And and Tim, thanks for taking the time to speak with him. On to the mailbag and our good friend Finn Breland. He says, you guys mentioned last episode that Gary is form driven, yet CJ seems to start every week regardless of form. Am I wrong in thinking that CJ's fallen off as a goal threat or even in his holdup and distribution play. And if Sapong had to sit, what's our best lineup without him? A lot of good questions there. I think uh, the way that we're looking at it is maybe not the way that Gary Smith is looking at it. I don't think Gary looks at his form and says he's playing poorly because he watches what CJ does defensively. And that's such an important part of what Nashville SC wants out of the striker. Um, in terms of what he's providing in the attack, yes, he's fallen off a little bit. Um, he's, he's not banging in goals or creating chances. He just has 1.12 expected goals total in nearly 600 minutes since the international break. So yes, the, the production has fallen off offensively, but he's also always been a service dependent striker and Nashville hasn't had, um, Randall all for that entire time. Um, obviously they did not have Hani Mukhtar this past weekend. Um, he's a guy who, when the service is there is going to create the chances and it, it hasn't always been there and he hasn't always created the chances, but what he does 
aside from scoring is, is more than enough to keep him on the field in terms of in best lineup without him. I, I think Gary Smith would gladly just plug T.O. Bunbury in there if you had an yeah. otherwise uh, healthy roster for sure. No doubt. Two stats to indicate that the holdup play has still been I think, strong this year. Number one, he is second in Major League Soccer in number of aerials one. It's actually a category in which he's finished in the top three in the league in four of the last five years. So mm-hmm. he, still, he creates really good second balls for, for his midfielders yes, too. He really does. It's, it's purposeful aerials one and that mm-hmm. aerial percentage is still something Nashville leads uh, MLS in. And then number two stat is fouls committed. He's ninth in major league soccer. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could look at that as a negative stat, but it shows he's in the mix. He's involved in, in a physical presence in midfield and not just a target striker. And so what he does is, is more than just score goals, but he hasn't scored now in seven matches and it's fair to, yeah. to, to want more out of him on that end as well. Charlie Pate Loba did not play Saturday. Is he on the way out? Would have thought he had a great opportunity to start with Hani out, but instead he never sees the pitch. A lot of money sitting. Charlie, it's a fair point. I think signs at this point are pointing to him becoming an increasingly marginalized member of this attack. Uh, but I think Zubak in for him is not necessarily the death knell that on paper it might seem to be. The focus was more on hold-up play and, and holding on to that draw for Nashville, I think, based on the tenor of the match, rather than pushing for a goal. And, and if you want somebody you can trust to... When some aerial duels, Zubak's your guy ahead of Loba. It's fair to say it was a bit surprising, though, and I did mention it on, on the broadcast, uh, especially since Ake scored in Cincinnati last year for what that's worth. Uh, you know, it's a place where he'd had some success. Scoring in Cincinnati last year is a very different that's question. True. Two of his last three goals, though, have been in Ohio, Monterey, in, in CCL against uh, Columbus. That's random and not useful for this conversation. Uh, but one thing is for sure, I think, and that is that Teal's emergence as a productive contributor certainly increases the pressure on on Loba to show something in the limited minutes that he's getting on the way out I think is is a way of phrasing it that that I guess kind of gives you a black or white answer here and I don't think that he is going to be sold this window I don't think he is going to be sold after this year unless he really blows up Um, we've seen for just over a year now that he's not either willing or able to do some of those little things that I just mentioned with CJ defensively, especially to get to the top of the striker depth chart, or as we saw against Cincy, he's not in the too deep either. A a lot of the times, Um, this is a meritocracy, not a, how much was your transfer fee And I think it shows, um, there probably aren't any takers for him for a transfer fee that, that Nashville SC would be able to stomach at this point. Mm -hmm. And unless he increases his value at, I would say it's more likely that Nashville just continues sitting on his contract. Um, he is at a point where he can be bought down with targeted allocation money. If there's another, uh, if there's another option for Nashville to bring in, which, which brings us to the, to the next question. Um, I, I guess I can ask it. Look, check out this role reversal here. Oh. I mean, it came from John Malden. It's, it's kind of a, a downstream from Charlie's question there. And he says, how does the wasted DP slot affect our U22 initiative slots? And are there any potential signings for any U22 slots we have left? So I want to get into the first part, obviously, because uh, we have long established that I'm a huge roster rules nerd because he is a player whose, whose salary, I believe it's around $1.2 million. Um, it is below the, the cutoff where guys have to be a designated player. He can mm-hmm. be bought down with Tam. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it does not affect Nashville SC's U22 slots. As long as, um, you aren't using all three DP slots on guys making more than $1.6 million. You can use all of your U22 slots. Um, at this point, we don't know how much Hani Mukhtar is making. We know Walker Zimmerman is is making above $1.6 million, uh, reportedly 2.5 mm-hmm. per year over four years. I would I would guess Hani's not far from that. So Ake is probably the one 
designated player who could be bought down. But because of that, um, there are those U22 slots uh, available. And um, in terms of, of who it could be, um, I think the nature of those those slots, the nature of that roster designation is is by design kind of makes it a little mysterious, like who's going to come out of South America and take one of those slots. And I do think that that's what you would likely see if Nashville were to use one, but I don't think there's anything kind of brewing right now. And those feel to me like the ty- the kinds of moves you make in the off season to let a guy mm-hmm. develop over the course of a season. You're not going to find very many club changers you know, fortune changers in the middle of the season necessarily. And those are a little more developmental in nature, usually not every time. Yeah. And that's particularly true when you are getting guys out of South America as, as that U22 slot seems to be pretty slanted towards because they're in the Southern hemisphere, their season lines up with ours. They do Mm -hmm. play over the winter, like you would expect in Europe, but their winter is, is right now. So, so their seasons end at the same time as MLS seasons and start at the same time as MLS season. So they're kind of lined up a little bit more. Um, So not only is it less likely for a team to pick up a U22 player midseason, it's less likely for a team in Uruguay or Chile or, or Argentina to sell a guy in the middle of their season as well. So now that Nashville's preeminent MLS roster expert is waxing poetic, <laughs> waxing prose um, about this, let me just stop for a second and say, if you guys have not been to clubcountryusa.com and read his How Much Gam Does Nashville Have Left piece, it is as engrossing a piece <laughs> I've been promising it on the pod for weeks. I had to get it gam. done. You've been promising it. You have finally delivered. And folks, it's even better than hoped for. There's There's some level of of math and, and through lines in there that, that would have made my MBA accounting teacher uh, proud at Belmont <laughs> university. Um, it's, it's really good stuff and it, it's, it's meaty. And so if you guys like this show, you're going to love that. Uh, so clubcountryusa.com, check it out. It is, I, I need to read it again. The first time I read it though, it was great. And I need to study it now that I've <laughs> digested it just a little bit. Uh, question of the week right here from Jay Robinson. This is a great one. Is Gary Smith, Jeff Fisher. Oh, that's a good one. Jeff Fisher, of course, we got to define the argument here. Not everybody this was a Tennessee Titans fan from 10 years back. So Jeff Fisher always kept his teams in games by minimizing mistakes, focusing on defense and prioritizing grit over pure star power. Um, always had his teams in competitive situations, but they were rarely elite and was seen as underperforming in the postseason and sometimes in the regular season or getting stuck in that NFL purgatory where you're always just kind of right in the middle of the picture, maybe making the playoffs, maybe missing, but, but kind of not in a place where you can really impact your team. Um, he was, he was seen as an eight and eight coach every year. It's kind of the way he yeah. was, you know, he was stereotyped. It, the um, only thing you could finish was seven and nine or nine and seven. Yep. Right? That was it. Yep. And so, so then it's, you know, it's an interesting question as you compare it to Gary Smith and Nashville SC. My answer is going to be no, he's not Jeff Fisher. Um, in some ways, Gary's approach could be compared to Fisher's as club's approach of, you know, not being the number one through three payrolls in Major League Soccer, even if they are willing to spend more in, in certain cases, but staying in games, minimizing mistakes, you know, being defense first, but still some attacking punch, grit over star power. There are a couple stars on this team, but by and large, it, you know, it's a, it's a team built on chemistry versus playing FIFA and bringing in a bunch of studs. Um but here's the difference. Gary Smith is not an underachiever. And so I don't think Jeff Fisher was a gross underachiever, but yeah, sometimes it fell on that side. Gary ceiling is higher. He's won a championship in this league and this club is set up to continue to push for championships and not just to sneak into the playoffs. 
Uh, the things that Gary majors in are the exact things you need to be a great playoff team. Uh, be completely, be extremely tough to beat. Be a good counterattacking group who can sneak up and score a goal out of nowhere or put three on somebody like they did against Orlando or Miami two years ago. And I think Gary takes more tactical risks than he's given credit for. They're just strategically informed risks. Uh, and maybe not as always per- as personnel driven of a risk, but but in terms of tactics, he takes some chances from time to time that Jeff Fisher maybe didn't always. So <laughs> is Gary Smith Jeff Fisher? It's a great question. The answer, I believe, because he overachieves is no, he is not. Yeah, so Fisher had his strong years with the Titans, yes, but I, I don't want to speak for Jay, but I get the impression that this, uh, that this question is not geared towards, no. is is he Super Bowl participant no. Jeff Fisher? It's no. is he seven and nine or nine and seven Jeff Fisher? And I, uh, Smith's resume is shorter at this point. I looked up Jeff Fisher's resume to see how long he, uh, you know, he was in the league, and it astounded me <laughs> how many years he oh, was, yeah. Houston to to obviously here and then finished with the Rams. But um, I don't think when you look at a guy who finished third or fourth in his division, uh, more than he finished first or second in the division, it's something that you're going to expect to see with Gary Smith. I think Gary Smith is going to be a solid playoff participant at the very least, basically year in and year out. Um, obviously the, the stakes are slightly different in major league soccer where, where more than half the teams make the playoffs, but <laughs> it is a situation where I think the floor is probably a little higher and the, and the ceiling we've seen Gary win uh, a championship in this league, but I think on a consistent basis, um, obviously only one out of 28 teams can win the championship. So you're not going to expect that, but certainly we have seen that the ceiling can be as high as winning the league. Gary Smith as Tony Dungy maybe (laughs) championship caliber pretty high floor um classy guy we'll 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 chew on that a little bit uh trevor is there anything more to underperforming expected goals than bad luck and he's he's citing actually in this tweet that he sent us a tom bogart stat that nashville Mm -hmm. i think is the third highest uh the third most underperforming xg team in major league soccer And, and then of course he follows it up with is it too late in the season to say small sample size uh, yeah, the second part I didn't even answer when I was preparing, but no, it, it, the sample sizes for shooting uh, are so insanely small in soccer. M- multiple years is not enough to say that, uh, enough about sample size when it comes to shooting specifically. But when you look at the long run, the vast majority of shooters do ultimately conform to their expected goals. Yes, there are guys like Messi. I think we've said his name more in this episode of the podcast than we have in every other podcast combined, but he's going to finish over his expected numbers. But Cristiano Ronaldo, who is widely considered basically Messi's only rival for being the best player of this generation, famously finishes below his expected values. Um, So guys who are good enough to become a professional soccer player generally finish within a relatively tight band, and it's essentially a margin for error band. If you can't do it, you aren't in pro soccer for long. It is mostly luck, and I think the one thing that especially in major league soccer where you don't play every team twice like you do in a lot of leagues around the world is facing good goalkeeping. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that has, that has hurt Nashville at times this year. Um, whether sometimes bad luck, sometimes playing against Andre Blake specifically as it, as it relates to Nashville. No, I don't think that this is a team that has any sort of systemic issue that causes them to underachieve their expected goals. You can still be a bad finisher. In, no, in a non, no, in a non- you cannot. I'm going to throw my computer out the window. You're not, <laughs> you are not a, a major league soccer player. If you're a bad finisher playing in the forward positions, those guys it, fairly or not, I guess, actually, when you look at what um, the statistical uh, outputs say, 
those guys are, are, are rinsed out before anybody else. They are not making it to this level and staying at this level if they are bad finishers. Two bits of, of defense there. Number one, in a non-top five league, it's a little more likely you can hang around a little bit longer. But number two, more importantly, given the small sample size, even of the course of XG for a mm-hmm. team for a season, you could, it's beyond just bad luck. You could, you could just have some bad finishing moments that, that allow your stats to be in that direction. Yeah, you. Yeah, so part of it is small sample size counts for that too. Yeah. Like a guy yeah. can be a, a bad finisher, and we don't know because the sample size is too small that it looks like he's okay, or that we assume that it's not because he's a bad finisher. But uh, after I after I teased the gamma festo for weeks, the finishing festo might have to be next on my list of things to actually write. But for the most part, because of because of the these small sample sizes, yes. Um, you know, hundreds of shots are not enough because the, the variety of different shots that guys take are not necessarily comparable to each other. And the 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 big picture is that basically nobody consistently overachieves or underachieves their expected goals. The the year over year comparison between like difference between what you are expected to do and what you do is like there's zero correlation year to year, which basically means that there aren't guys that are bad finishers, uh, at least not to a statistically significant degree with the sample sizes that we have available to us in major league soccer. I'm just going to move on. I think he's officially owned me. I'm very passionate about this. Thank you for not throwing your computer out the window. (laughs) Let's continue. Jonathan Dufault. What do you think season pass renewal is going to look like churn rate density and stadium after seat changes? Will there be a huge sell out? Also, anything you have to say about, tempo he didn't capitalize tempo but i'm guessing he meant the mascot here i'm i'm, I'm hoping because he because then he apologized for asking off-field questions so I, I guess that's it so i'm gonna talk about tempo for a second because i we've never discussed the mascot on here he's not exactly the number one topic we care about on this show but i like him he's naturally born from a quirky moment in our city's history a coyote being apprehended in the music city center bathroom it's a situation where the club's not taking itself too seriously there. The the introduction video was great. And, and the Coyote, I think, kind of is an ethos that represents how this club plays on the pitch. I think it's a home run. I think it serves for as an example for other clubs and sometimes maybe for this club to not take itself too terribly seriously, to, to publicly mm-hmm. represent yourself to stakeholders in a fun manner and realize this is still sports after all. Um, and uh, I like it. it it's, it's, it's locally driven. And uh, I think that's... That's fun. As much as I love Arsenal, Gunnersaurus, really? A dinosaur? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and I love Gunnersaurus, but where's the where's the tie-in to North London? I don't know. Um, churn rate, hard to say. I think most people are going to renew. And those who don't, maybe that's the crew who had a little money and wanted to check out what the entertainment experience was like, but they're going to move on to the next fun entertainment thing next year and be replaced probably by more diehard people who want to be involved fans and not just passive fans. So... I don't think we see fewer season ticket holders next year. We right. might see more, but I think we see more engaged season ticket holders. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I land on it too. Is I think it'll be a couple of years before the wait list is exhausted. They've obviously put out uh, put out applications to join the wait list and um, put your deposit in if you want to be on there. But um, between now and the time the wait list actually does get exhausted, I think people. Um, first of all, are going to be most interested in how the team performs. Um, so far, so good. Obviously, we're hoping for a, a strong finish to this season to to kind of keep that trend going. But we, when you also look within the next couple of years, um, parking, entertainment outside of the game, right now are as frustrating as they ever have been or will be. Um, this is this is the 
experience at the game that is external to the game itself is only going to get better. And I think mm -hmm. that's going to rope people in almost as much as the soccer. Honestly, I don't yeah. think once that stuff gets going, once there are, are restaurants around, once there are, are things to do that are not just tailgate game, ML Rose home, uh, then people are, people are going to be more, more connected to it and, and want to continue their season tickets, or there's going to be a, a built out wait list for people that are trying to replace departing season ticket holders. I don't know what percentage is going to be churn versus what percentage is going to be consistent, but I do know that it's going to be at least a few years before this stadium is, is anything approaching, uh, less than a, the sellout experience. Yeah, I, I certainly would agree with that. Michael Cass, is Nashville SC looking to host a Premier League or other European club on a future summer tour as Charlotte and some other MLS clubs did last week? By the way, I was down in Orlando watching Arsenal visit Orlando City. Exploria Stadium, not a bad place to watch a game. Not a fan of those supporters, man. They're just too salty. I just can't get on board with that vibe. Um, and Arsenal won big, and that was probably partially why they were salty. Uh, a reminder, of course, that, that Club America is coming up September 21st to take on Nashville. Not a European club, but but an example of a friendly happening here that I think sets the tone for the fact that this is something we can consider to be a possibility uh, in the future. Um, not aware of those plans. I don't know that they've been conceived just yet. Uh, when I was in corporate partnerships at a previous role, uh, we got a call probably in winter uh, before that that summer's friendly season, um, pitching us the idea to sponsor Dortmund and Liverpool in Nashville. They ended up moving the game to Charlotte, so it didn't even happen here. We said no to the sponsorship anyway. But the point being, you know, they were having that call with us, presumably not long after the idea was conceived, and it was still you know four or five months out, I would say, uh, from the game. So. Uh, don't know that that's in the works just yet. Wouldn't surprise me if it if it happened. So, who would your ideal European friendly be against? Give me the biggest names you've got. I want to see yeah. Barcelona. That's the that's the European team that I've always had an affinity for. Uh, I, I want to see Liverpool. I want to see PSG. I want to see the biggest names, not just club names, but individuals' names. Um, I want to see the Neymars. I want to see the Mbappes. Um, yeah, so I guess give me Real Madrid too, but people get, get people excited who are already excited about soccer, but not necessarily invested in Nashville SC, get them excited about going to Geodis park, get them excited about the experience of seeing Nashville SC against some of these guys. And you know, you'll probably win some fans too. And so I think that the, the biggest names you can possibly get are who I want to see. And yes, I, I, I did not, I did not stake my my claim to any specific one there and i will not do so <laughs> any of them bring them in and let there be a radio call i want to call those games i was, <laughs> actually had had lunch with a member of the orlando broadcast crew the day after that arsenal match and he was like evan weston who's been on the show yeah mm -hmm. evan, um friend of the friend of the pod and he was like man it was great to call that game on tv but as soon as that game started, as soon as the starters came in for Arsenal in the second half, especially, I realized how different that pace is. Like it's another step up from what is mm -hmm. a good league in MLS. Um, it was it was a blast to watch, surely a blast to call. I, I got to go with the Ian Air Cup and, and say Liverpool. It's probably the cliche answer, but uh, or Premier League champion Arsenal next year. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst joke. That's on the all. Show. That's all I've got for you. Is it? <laughs> it's the worst joke on the show so far. Um, Last question, Uncle BZ. Has there been any news or on signing an attacking player? Does it look like we're going to be putting all of our eggs in the Shaq Moore basket and praying it fixes the other problems? I think other problems, as I do air quotes that you can all see in this audio medium, is, is doing a little too much work here. I mean, this team is in a playoff position. They have had unprecedented injuries, at least in their club's short history. 
They've played 60% of their games on the road so far this year. And yes, I know that the home performances have not exactly been inspiring necessarily. The sky is, is far from falling. And if you add a U.S. international to the equation, that means a lot. If you add Anibal Godoy, if you add a Handwala Buana even back to that equation, look just at, as recently as Saturday, if you add Hani Mukhtar back to the equation, they've been without <laughs> yeah. Hani Mukhtar in a game that they drop points as well. I do think that that things are better than than they have looked um, to, to some in the fan base seem to be like really worried um, and it's fair to worry, but I think it's, it's a little overstated how much worry there needs to be. And when you do add a guy like Shaq, who, as we previously mentioned, is, is filling a very specific hole that Nashville had in this roster. I think that that is, is going to be enough. Now, as for whether they do add more, Despite despite kind of filling that one hole, it's a possibility. Um, NSC is always going to monitor the market. Uh, Mike Jacobs and his staff are always seeing if there are guys out there who are both willing and, and capable of um, being transferred for and, and filling a hole that Nashville SC needs. But I don't expect them to be active in it at this point. It'll, it really depends on if the right situation ar- arises. I think that with the amount of game that uh, ClubCountryUSA.com proprietor Tim Sullivan reports that Nashville may still have, <laughs> I, it wouldn't surprise me. Quite honestly, it wouldn't surprise me to see Nashville make a move. I'm not reporting anything here, but I, um, I it wouldn't shock me. But it's got to be the right fit. I would certainly yeah. agree. Not I, so I guess just I, I, I want to I want to be clear. I think when when the question is asked, it kind of seems to be asked: Are they going to bring in Olivier Giroud or something no, like that? Yeah. That that is not that is not in the works. If if they do, it's probably going to be somebody that that you don't know, but that but that Mike Jacobs thinks is a good fit for the system more than anything. I think that's a completely reasonable take. And, and, you know, like Shaq Moore, the buzz around him, I mean, it was big because of the anticipation of knowing this is happening mm-hmm. for a while, but, but it's not a guy that's going to make global right. headlines. Uh, this club's fine with that as long as it's the right fit, uh, for sure. Final whistle, um, club country football league or 440 sports football league. We're going to, going to look at the standings. Uh, I had an okay week. I'm still down to like 13th. It's not great. Tim, you're improving. I think you've, you've checked your team once or twice. Yeah, I checked it, and I had Hani Mukhtar in my starting lineup this week. So uh, oh. maybe checking it is not working out well for me. <laughs> Remember, until the game starts, you can make those changes. But it was tough. It was a tough match week because mm-hmm. there were like 12 games going on within a three-hour span of each other. Yeah. It's not easy to, to maintain a lineup in, in such a climate, for sure. Uh, content recommendations. i, I got to say, now that Nashville's playing Vancouver, it's a chance to get to know a team that might be, if you listed all 28 MLS teams from memory and you got all 28, Vancouver would be the last one you listed. 60% chance. I just did this the other day and, and somehow Charlotte was the one that I forgot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like re- recency anti-bias, anti-recency yeah. bias. Uh, Vancouver is mine consistently. I do this more often than I care to admit. Um, yeah, that's the main one usually for me that I just kind of gloss over that or like Real Salt Lake sometimes, which is not fair at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some compelling storylines out in Vancouver, despite the team not being a world beater. Vanny Sartini is a character, the manager for this team, his first managerial job. He was the interim. Uh, they won seven of their final like 12 last year, made the playoffs with him. So they, they took the interim tag off and he is explosive. He is a very expressive man from Florence who has a cool life story and uh, just a very, very interesting guy. And Matt Pence in The Athletic wrote a great profile of him last November. It was before the playoffs. Uh, It was right after the press conference where he came out after they qualified and he said, I'm glad we're not playing tomorrow because we'll still be drunk. Uh, Just a a very uh, colorful character in in that profile by Pence uh, last November. The, The best piece I've seen to date profiling 
what is uh, Vancouver's coach, a very interesting guy. Yeah, I did not realize that he was from Florence, Kentucky. Um, yes, I just also Florence, Googled I, I, I just Googled how to say y'all in Italian. It, it wasn't going to happen quickly enough. <laughs> um, my content recommendation comes, comes downstream from our interview in this episode, um, especially because I gave the URL in the non-shortened version, which is um, for Eric Miller's playing for pride sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. It's letsengage.com slash Eric way easier than the one that I gave during the interview. Um, check that out. Obviously this is a, a, a initiative that is very important to Eric. It is very important to us. It's something that we really believe in and I uh, encourage everyone to check it out and uh, you can win a, a Jersey signed by the entire Nashville SC team, whether that's the, the uh, inaugural game commemorative Jersey or, or one of the other, I think it was seven jerseys that they're auctioning off. It's a really cool prize uh, for a really good cause too. The best thing about soccer is its ability to unite uh, a passionate and inclusive community of people to cheer for the team on the pitch and for each other off of it. And uh, that's what Eric Miller is all about. Playing for pride is all about. Uh, and uh, thanks to Eric for taking the time. Thanks to all of you for listening. We want to see you guys at MLROs after the match Saturday. Come on by. Save some good spots for us. Tim's going to be writing his post-game recap after the presser. I'm going to be uh, escaping after the presser to get down there, but but we'll take a little bit of time, and we hope to see see many of you there. Uh, thanks to Moon Taxi for the music, as always. Hey, give us a rating and a review. We've gotten some really nice, kind reviews on Apple Podcasts here in the past few weeks. Hadn't checked in a little while, but there were some really, really good recommendations there from folks, and we really appreciate that. Uh, subscribe to us. Tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter. And thanks to the 440 Sports Network at 440 Sports, the home for great locally driven podcasts across the Nashville sports spectrum. We will see you guys soon.